The following sermon is from the Westminster Pulpit, extending the worship ministry of Westminster Presbyterian Church, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We are a local congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format. We turn in God's Word to Luke chapter 1, the story of Mary visiting Elizabeth and Mary's song of praise. Hear the Word of God, Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. That's John the Baptist, yet to be born. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, The baby in my womb leaped for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy." As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. This is the word of God. Don't we all love the beautiful music of Christmas? Patty and I are still old-fashioned at our house. We're still a CD household. We haven't moved up to the, all the newfangled ways of doing music. So when Thanksgiving is over, we pull out the box of CDs, these ancient things, and we put them on and we try to fill the house with music, the music of Christmas as much as we can. It's hard to get enough of it. But here we have a simple song without accompaniment, we might say. We might even say the first Christmas carol. If you don't count the Old Testament prophetic songs and passages, here we find Mary's song of praise, Mary's song of salvation as she lifts up her voice to the Lord. One of the most well-known passages in the Bible, the compilers, in fact, of the Anglican Book of Common Prayer, gave this text such prominence that it was second only to the Lord's Prayer. 
It is commonly known as Mary's Magnificat, since that was the first word of the song in the old Latin translation, Magnificat anima mea dominum, my soul does magnify the Lord. Clearly, Mary is extolling and praising God for his great mercy to her in choosing her to be the mother of the Messiah. No doubt she composed this poetic prayer of adoration during her pregnancy as she meditated on the great power and mercy of God in this entirely supernatural conception and in the promises God gave about the long-expected Prince of Peace. But even though Mary's role was unique as the bearer of the Messiah, we must keep in mind that Mary was no different than any other believer. She was not without sin, and she was in need of a Savior just like every one of us. In fact, later in Mary's life, Jesus would say, Who are my mother and my brothers but the one who does the will of my Father in heaven? And so as we look at Mary's song, I want us to see that the themes of this song are the themes of every Christian. In other other words, Mary is a model of what it is to experience God's grace and mercy and the glory in God. And really the question for each of us is this, are these themes genuinely the themes of my heart? Am I able to sing along with Mary, we might say? Look with me at the two major themes. Uh, I want us to see first the theme, Lord, I am poor and needy. Rescue me by your mercy. This theme of needing to humble ourselves before God and recognizing the need for his mercy. We see this come out in verses 50 through 53 where Mary talks about the mercy of God to those who fear him. And and she says in verse 51, God has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. We might think of Pharaoh being humbled greatly by God, who was so powerful, or Nebuchadnezzar, who was made to eat grass, and his fingernails grew so long. The Bible has many examples of the great being humbled by God. But this theme is especially true in the sense of anyone who comes to God must come humbly. This is not a theme that our culture is used to hearing. In fact, it grates on our natural desire to be strong to be self-sufficient, to be independent. We don't want to be seen as being poor and needy, and we certainly don't want to admit that we are. But in the kingdom of Jesus Christ, Jesus turns the values of this world upside down. We value power and wealth and fame and strength, whether it's movie stars or politicians or sports heroes. We respect things like education and people who succeed in their profession. And those things may be fine in terms of the way earthly things are. But look how Mary describes the way God works. Verse 53, He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich He has sent empty away. 
Doesn't it remind you of the first beatitude? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does God value? The answer from these verses is that he values the humble, the hungry, the spiritually hungry, the spiritually needy and poor and weak. In other words, words the person who knows his or her helplessness and cries out to God for mercy. I would make a distinction about physical or literal poverty or hunger, although it's often true that it is the the poor and weak of a society who are typically more willing to see their spiritual need and their moral poverty of spirit. Jesus says that it's rare for the rich to see this. But we are talking here about poverty of spirit before God, the spirit that says, Lord, I'm in a desperate condition unless you have mercy on me and forgive me and give me new life and save me from my sins by your grace. Unless you do that, I am undone. That's what Mary is saying. That's what she's singing about and glorying in and declaring that this is the way that God works. This is the nature of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mary must have had a deep sense of this, not only spiritually, but also from the standpoint of someone who was weak and needy from a a worldly, earthly point of view. And that poverty pointed to this deeper spiritual reality that is true for each and every one of us, no matter how powerful we might be in the world's eyes. Think of Mary. Here she was, part of a nation, the nation of Israel, that was under the heel of Rome. Talk about government intrusion in our lives. Don't we all hate that? I don't like the light up here on Oregon Pike that after the green arrow is gone, I have to wait. I can't turn left on green. And sometimes I think, who was the government person in PennDOT who did this? All those roads are not like that. It's government intrusion in my life. Think of Mary in the government intrusion that she had to travel the whole way to Bethlehem because of the government's census about taxing them. It's like going from, walking from here to Baltimore. And not only that, not only being part of a nation that was poor and par, far from the corridors of power, but Mary was also a woman. And women in that culture and society were very much disenfranchised. They were powerless. And so it's not insignificant that God's sending of his son into this world involved the central role of a woman. It demonstrates the upside-down values of God, how God turns on their heads the things of this world. And not only she is a woman, but now with this miraculous pregnancy from God, apart from any man, Mary was a woman who was to be very much seen as questionable in terms of her integrity, in terms of her morality. How many would have believed the story that must have begun to be circulated of this supernatural conception? Can you imagine the women at the well talking about Mary? Oh, sure. She says something about a miracle. We see Elizabeth's joyful response, but I'm sure that Elizabeth's response of faith was far from typical of what Mary got from others. And so just about every way you can think about it, Mary was far 
from the power and wealth club of her world. She wouldn't have made it. You know, I like to read the newspaper reports at the end of the year with the lists of people who did great things, the Nobel Peace Prize winners of the year, Donald Trump, the Time Magazine Person of the Year, or maybe the obituaries of those great individuals who, who passed away this past year. You wouldn't have found Mary listed in the Roman newspapers of Person of the Year. You wouldn't have found her in the Jerusalem newspapers of the time. Not that they had newspapers, just so you know. I do know that. (laughs) But all of Mary's weaknesses in the world's eyes stands for something else. It stands for something much deeper, a deeper poverty that each one of us has before the holy and glorious and righteous God, the God who created us and calls us to worship Him alone. And in part, apart from Him invading our lives through the Word of God and the Gospel, we do not worship God. We worship the things of this world. We worship ourselves. And that poverty is our poverty of spirit because of our sin. Here we are created in the image of God, and yet that image is now marred and disfigured by our sin. And in that sense, we are each like Mary, because just like Mary, we can do nothing to deserve God's favor. In fact, all we deserve is His holy justice and wrath against all sin. And that's where the gospel comes in. The good news that says this is the very reason that Jesus Christ came. Familiar story to save his people from their sins. Good news of great joy. The greatest search and rescue operation in the history of the world. The way to life is what Mary is singing about. Lord, I am poor and needy. Rescue me. Have mercy on me as I call to you through Jesus and what he has done. Jesus coming as a baby, living as a man, a sinless life, laying down his life, going to the cross for a sinner such as me. That's the spirit that says, O Lord, I have not worshipped you alone. I have loved many other things. I have loved money and things and power and approval and comfort and security and a respectable family and education and a steady job, all the things that are often good gifts of God but that we put in the place of God. And so we need God's mercy, His grace, to cover our sins in Christ. Is this first part of Mary's song part of the theme of your heart, a theme that you love to declare, that you love to stand on and glory in, like Paul says in Galatians 6, far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Often, that comes out in the way we treat others. And how we look at the others around us, maybe you can think of how you look at people during the traffic tie-ups of the past week. I got caught up in some of those. Is there some degree of humility and graciousness that comes out of you? I was wondering in one of the store lines the other day, I guess this is because some of my grandchildren are New England Patriot fans, and I was thinking as I waited in a long line, and I didn't have any prerogative to cut in line or anything, of course, I wouldn't have done that. What if Tom Brady, the New England quarterback, walked in here? You know, he's pretty famous. 
I, wouldn't, the, wouldn't the lines just kind of part? Oh, let Tom Brady go to the front. Wow. Probably he'd be surrounded for seeing, I know, autographs and everything like that. But my mind was just toying with that idea. What would it be like to be a celebrity walking in through the crowds? Boy, you'd get service. Here, sir, please come to this. We'll open a special cashier for you. Yes. Do you have a heart humbled by the gospel? Ask yourself, what is it that you tend to trust in when you think about what God wants from you? Maybe you're giving to end-of-the-year charities, or maybe you're thinking that you're a solid member as an American, part of American society, a person of integrity, true to your word, or maybe you trust in the fact that you've been raised in a good family, or that you've helped others, or been kind, or Maybe even along the lines that you're dedicated to your religion to some extent. Whatever it is that if you were pressed, you would have to say, yes, to some degree, I'm trusting in that in addition to the Lord Jesus Christ. Then, deep down, you are not singing Mary's song of utter and complete dependence on Jesus Christ alone and what he's done to save you from your sin. O Lord, rescue me on the basis of Jesus Christ. And if not, as it says in Ephesians, I am without hope and without God in this world. Christmas is all about one thing, God sending his son to deliver poor and helpless sinners who cannot save themselves and who only deserve God's justice. And if we are like Mary, then we know that and we are singing that song. But secondly, the refrain or the theme, we might say, of Mary's song is, Lord, since I deserve nothing, but you have given me everything in Jesus, praise be to your name. I deserve nothing, you've given me everything in Jesus, praise be to your great and gracious name. We see this theme of overflowing praise to God in a number of places in this psalm. In verse 46, Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. And then in verse 49, For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Mary stands in awe, we would say, at the great things that God has done. She's speaking prophetically here. She's acknowledging what is coming in the birth of this child. Certainly, She is thinking something about this great and unique privilege of of giving birth to the Messiah. But the great things that God has done go far beyond Mary's singular privilege of being the mother in this sense. In fact, one characteristic of this song as we study it is that Mary begins with herself. She speaks, my soul, my spirit rejoices. And as the song proceeds, there is a broadening of the scope of who's included. So in verse 50, we see, and his mercy is for those who fear him. Do you hear that broadening? It's not just about Mary. It's about anyone and everyone who fears the Lord in that sense of trust and reverential awe and love to the Lord through Christ. Mary is praising God about the free and full gift of salvation the gift by which God gives us everything in himself. Forgiveness, peace with God, eternal life, 
freedom from condemnation, a new heart, new desires that God is building into our lives so that we begin to more and more reflect our Savior himself, even though it's in a stumbling, limited way, and a new love for God. These great things are summarized by Matthew in his gospel. The virgin will be with child and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us, the comprehensive gift of God. This is God's salvation. I deserve nothing, but God has given me everything in Jesus Christ. Praise be to his name. And notice especially the very personal way Mary states this. In verse 47, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. And note the similar language of Elizabeth. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Think of how personally that's stated. And I ask you, do you know something of this personal theme song of praise? That there's a first-person experience of the knowledge of God in your life. Not just the gospel held at a distance, and you can recite the creed or confession, and you can sing the hymns, but is there something that this trust and faith personally has entered into your soul that you can say, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Think of it this way. Think of how children tend to especially want one gift above everything that might be on their Christmas list. Some of you children this morning probably got that gift, and you're probably not even listening to what I'm saying because your mind is on that gift. You're thinking about, when do we get out of here and I get to go home? My parents brought me to church on Christmas. What a terrible ordeal. You're thinking of that gift. Well, all of us have that problem with our lives, that one thing that will really make us happy, at least for a while. We might look at our lives and think, what is that one thing for me right now? The thing that if I had it, I would be completely content. Maybe it has to do with your health. Maybe money, things. Maybe it's your career, Maybe it's something about your abilities, if God would just give you different abilities or different appearance or personality or friendships or whatever it is, the thing that you would just long for, if you had it, you would be content. But to say, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, means that the thing that rises to the top of the list is God himself, my Savior. Jesus Christ, that the Lord wants us to be content with him. Are you singing that part of Mary's psalm? Praise arises from knowing that God has given me everything in Jesus Christ, and I can be fully satisfied in him no matter how good or how bad the circumstances of my life may be. And that is not in any way to discount the genuine reality of grief and loss and suffering, and hardship. But even in those times, we know that the Scripture says there is this underlying, we might say there's a deep bass note playing of joy in God because He is our all in all. Have you ever received an unforgettable gift? I remember getting a new bicycle on a Christmas morning. 
and it had snowed about eight inches the night before. I think my dad had stayed up to about 3 a.m. assembling this bicycle with the easy directions that were there. And I remember getting this bicycle, and by mid-afternoon, I just had to go out and try it, even though the snow plows hadn't come. And so I wheeled the bike out the front door. We hadn't shoveled the walk yet, and there were tire tracks in our front street where cars had driven by. I can remember the feeling of riding my new bicycle, three-speed. In those days, three-speed was it. Wow. And slipping and sliding on those car tracks, just trying to keep upright, because this was my most favorite gift. There's a story about one of the foremost missionaries in the beginnings of the great missionary movement. Adoniram Judson was a missionary to Burma. And after a number of years there of he and his wife Anne of preaching and teaching and translating and building relationships and seeing a number of Converts, a handful, 10 to 15, come to Christ. He decided to seek an audience with the emperor, with the king, which is about 350 miles north of Rangoon, upriver. And he had hoped that such a meeting would somehow serve to lessen the already growing persecution and opposition to the gospel that was there. But he knew he needed to bring along a gift worthy of a king. What do you take as a poor missionary? To a king. And so Judson and a few other missionaries finally came up with the idea of giving the king a handsome edition of the English Bible in six volumes, even though clearly the king couldn't read English or speak it. And to make it special, they had each volume covered in gold leaf in Burman style. Gold coated books. Wow. Well, after two months of dangerous travel by boat up river and being concerned about robbers and all kinds of things, they finally reach the city of the emperor, and they secure an audience with him. And when Judson finally presents his petition about freedom of religion and asking for special allowances in this way, and he presented this special gift of golden books to the king, the king took no notice of it at all, didn't even look at it, Probably that had to do with the fact that they were standing in his massive hall that was entirely covered with gold. What do you need these gold books for? It's just more gold. Gold is boring. And Judson and his associate were unceremoniously hustled out of the room and the palace. Their, all their effort to naught at that point. Think of it. The king rejecting gold-plated books. He didn't know the riches that were contained in them. I ask you, have you received the greatest gift offered to you by the humble means of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ? The gospel that sets the axe at the root of all pride and human exalting of ourselves and says, trust in Jesus Christ alone. Is the Lord Jesus the theme song of your life Can you say with Mary, the mighty one has done great things for me? Have you received the good news of Jesus coming and dying that you might have life? And you might say, my Savior. You may not be gifted to sing in the choir, but if the Lord Jesus Christ has given you himself, then you will always be singing Mary's song on Christmas 
and every day of the year. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the great gift. We sing about it, we speak about it, we talk about it every year. Let it be a gift that is a reality for each one in this room. Let it be a gift that we receive through faith alone, by God's grace alone, on the basis of the Word of God alone, to the glory of God alone. We pray through Jesus Christ, who came and will come again. Amen.